Amen. Thank you. I'm so glad to be here. How many of you guys have had a good time? Yeah? Changing, thi- oh, changing things up a little bit. Feels weird to be not behind a piano. But won't he do it? <laughs> so before we get started, I just want to say and put honor where honor is due. Pastor Bree, Garrett, and their family, thank you. How much do you guys appreciate your pastors? Yes. Come on, you can do better than that. This is your pastor. This is your first lady. Yeah. I know I'm thankful for my pastors, my mentors, spiritual father and mother, my own mom, for uh, just being so awesome. Because how many know we need those people in our life that can correct us? Yeah? Okay, so this afternoon or morning, I just, I want to speak on, um, I felt like the Lord for a couple months now had been laying this on my heart, but I wasn't really sure how it was going to come together. How many of you have ever had times in your life where God gives you things at different seasons, and then there's a moment that he brings it all together? Yeah. So, and I fought with this word because I said, Lord, I am not doing that. I am not going there because you have healed me. You delivered me. I don't want to go back there. And he said, you're not. Today, you're releasing. And this morning, during our prayer, um, uh, Pastor Joyce, she gave, a, she gave a word. She said, relief and release. And as soon as she said that, just, I was like, thank you, Jesus. Won't he do it? <laughs> So today, I, um, I just want to talk on rest, resurrection, and release. Rest, resurrection, and release. And so, and I'm speaking today, and I lay from out of this place I'm still walking in. But today, I believe in Jesus' name, I'm released. So, how many of you have ever experienced a wilderness, a desert? How many of you have ever been to a desert? It's hot. There's nothing there. But I believe that a carnal mind cannot fulfill the righteous things of God and his promises. And the greatest warfare, I believe, and I wrote this down, the greatest warfare against the kingdoms of darkness is to pursue the heart of God, even in the wilderness. So take heart today if you feel you're in a wilderness or a desert That doesn't mean you've done something wrong. As a kid, I remember my mom, if I would get in trouble, you know, go to your room, and then she would come in. And sometimes I think that's how we see the wilderness. We think we've done something wrong, that we view it as a punishment, and that it's because I wasn't good enough. I didn't hear you right. I I was disobedient, or I was delayed in my obedience. So God says, Lacey, go to the wilderness. This is your punishment. I'm sitting you down. How many have ever experienced that? where you felt like it was punishment, because there's nothing there. It's dry, it's desolate, you're alone, you're numb. And so I believe that God intended the wilderness to be a positive thing. And you might not see it then, but it's positive. But the Lord showed me this, that the wilderness, Lacey, it can never be fully understood until it's viewed through the lens of the Father's jealousy for you. He wants to get us alone. And so 
I think he wants us, I think we're in a time and a season where God is saying, I want my people to come deeper with me into deeper fellowship, into deeper relationship, because when they come out, they're going to let the enemy know we're coming. We'll be able to love him rightly, see him rightly, but also we'll be able to love people rightly. Like Pastor Kim, she, Kim said, she said, there's someone on the other side waiting for you. And that's true. Someone's on the other side today of your wilderness waiting for you. And so, and I believe, you know, through my own time this last year, last three years, um, if I can just be honest, can we be real? <laughs> it's been hell, if I'm being honest. It's been awful. I am, I've questioned, God, where are you? I'm doing what you called me to do, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to school. I'm finishing my master's, and, you know, you come up with all these big plans and, like, what you're going to do. And then once the call of God is put on your life, just like King David, he was found in a field just tending the shepherd, the, the what do you call them? Sheep. Thank you. The sheep. He was just going about his daily business. And I, I imagine him, you know, he's out there, and he's just worshiping and God, I love you. Thank you for letting me tend the sheep today. They don't smell good, but thank you anyway. Thank you. And then back at home, the prophet comes to find the one to anoint. And see, the thing is, when, when God places a destiny on our life, sometimes that means he's taking someone out to put someone in. And what we don't, we don't see it, because the time that David was called and that he was anointed, it was span of time before he actually took the place of the throne. So God had to remove Saul because his heart was prideful because we know that you can't operate in anointing and pride at the same time. And so God had to remove someone, but he was always raising someone up, tending the sheep, doing the everyday. Maybe it's your stay-at-home mom doing the laundry. Jesus, I love you. Thank you putting the kids to bed. Jesus, I declare the blood of Jesus over their life. Going to work, going to school. And so we see in Acts 13, 22, and I'm going to kind of read it from a different translation, um, but it will be up on the screen, I think. Yeah, perfect. It says, after removing him, Saul, God raised up David to be a king. And God said of him, this is what he's saying about David, is that I have found in David, son of Jesse, a man who always pursues my heart and will accomplish all that I have destined him to do. So that tells me that you can't accomplish the things of God without the pursuit of the heart and face of God. Amen? And so we have to have the choice and we have to count the cost. That was something that even my mentor, she would say to me, we would be driving in the car, she'd be like, Lacey, you just got to count the cost. I'm like, what does that even mean? I thought when I gave my life to Jesus, I was counting the cost. Nope. Counting the cost is we choose Jesus over everything. We choose him over our vocational career. We choose him over our uh, songwriting abilities. We choose him over our relationships. We choose him over ministry. We choose him over family. Jesus over everything. Because I've learned that you can't do anything 
without the Holy Spirit. You can't do anything when your heart is prideful. And so I believe that God takes us through the wilderness to equip and train us to fall in love with him, really. And to call us higher, to fall in love with the caller and not the call. So I believe the wilderness, God has showed me that, Lacey, this time wasn't about, it wasn't about anything else. It wasn't about what you did. You faithfully did it. It's about I wanted your heart. In Revelation 3, it talks about that Jesus said, I've seen your good works. I've seen you do all of these things. But you've lost your first love. And I'm imagining, you know, the, the church of Ephesus that they were like, but, oh, yeah, we have all the programs. We have all the right people. Maybe we don't have the right people. God, we're winning souls, but is it sustaining? They lost their first love. So I believe that God calls us to rest. And sometimes, you know, and I kind of want to piggyback off of Kim, that rest can mean a good thing, but also rest can be bondage too if we don't learn how to move when he says to move. But rest also means you're at peace. You're, you might not be hearing God like you wanted to hear, but you're hearing him because it says draw close to God and he'll draw close to you. So he's already there. So I want to go to my main text in Hosea 2, chapter 2, verse 14 through 16. So here you have Hosea, who's a minor prophet, and God asked him to marry a prostitute. His life would be a picture of how God pursues Israel, or now how God pursues us through intimacy. But the reason why God had him do that was to show the kind of the analogy, the picture of Israel, you're choosing everything else but me. I need to get your attention. You're choosing everything else, everyone else. You're doing all the busy work, but you're not choosing me. And so you have Hosea here, and I, it's kind of funny. Um, you know, I can just imagine, God, I was reading this text, and I'm thinking, God, what if I was used as this metaphor to show this generation of how you want to pursue a relationship with me? What would that look like? So God says to him, I'm going to cause you to marry Gomer, who will cheat on you, who's going to reject you, and she's going to run away from you. But God instructed Hosea, and I love this, for his position to never change. For his position to never change, because he was going to use that to kind of bring Gomer into a place of complete desolate, just barrenness that were nothing that she could hold on to, could keep her sane. And so he wants to show him, God wants to show us that he's going to love us unconditionally. And so sometimes in this text it says in chapter 14, or chapter 2, verse 14, it says, but then I will win her back. Aren't you thankful? He'll win you back once again. I will lead her into the desert, and I will speak tenderly to her there. I will run, I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. Or another translation says, into a door of hope. 
She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from the captivity in Egypt. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call to me, and you will be my husband instead of my master. So that tells me there was relationship that had to happen. The relationship was lost because we serve masters. We're in relationships with husbands. So sometimes God will call, you know, have us do things that don't make sense in the natural, but, you know, it seems impossible, but it's for a greater cause and purpose. And so um, here recently, so I think the last time I was here, I was, I just either finished grad school or I was about to finish. So fast forward a year later, no job, (laughs) but I'm in love with Jesus. And so when I worship, it, you know, tears sometimes happens because I prayed for those to come back. Because I had lost something in the progress of school, of just ministry, of life. And when you're in full-time ministry and when you're doing full-time school and you're just trying to do things right, you can lose the one who calls you to it in the first place. And so in December, I... Uh, I got had been wrestling with me about quitting my job, um, and I was working, and it was honestly it was my dream job. It was absolutely my dream job. I was, um, you know, working with human trafficking victims, and I was doing therapy with them, and um, I just, you know, I, it was everything I wanted. But there came a time when it was I felt like it was only half something was missing, and so because of things that were going on and other circumstances, you know, some things outside of spiritual things, because sometimes we have to use wisdom, and we have to be released from somewhere when God says, um, and that's not some spiritual thing, that's just using wisdom. So I had to make the decision to leave, and I was so broke. I said, God, why? I worked three years, well, 20-some years, 24, 25 years of my whole life was dedicated for this moment. Why are you taking it away? And so again, my theology, sometimes our theology and pain shifts. We match our theology with our pain. We match our theology with the circumstances. And so I had to ask these questions and I was angry, I was upset, I was hurt, I was numb, and I was broke, and I felt abused by a system that didn't appreciate me, and I was so angry but that didn't stop what God was doing. And so this actually, what I'm about to read, um, three years ago, I was actually going through some of my old journals, and um, I found that when God speaks to you, write it down. Write it down. Because sometimes he, what he's speaking to you, he's, you're, just prof- you're just prophesying to your future. And so... Um, as I was preparing to come, I was looking back on some stuff, and I had wrote this down in 2014. So this is at the beginning of when I started school, and I hadn't quit my job at that time, and I was still going. Um, I wrote, the wilderness proves that God shows more commitment to our process than any other time, and that this creates a confidence, confidence in us so we're able to minister from it, of it, and through it. 
And that operating in confidence will manifest something in the earth that I believe is going to be the most violent thing to the kingdom of darkness in this age. Because time is short. Time is very short right now. I believe Jesus is coming. And so it's time to rise up in confidence in the call of God in your life. And so I believe that God was taking me through this wilderness to remove the distraction, to remove all the titles. You can have all the letters behind your name, and it doesn't mean anything. Hello? Are you here? All right. That you can have everything in the world, but it doesn't mean anything if you've lost the first love. And so I believe David experienced this. I love David. Like, I just love him. Like, I want to meet him. He, I think he's like the coolest person ever. And I, I identify so much with his life, not because of worship, but because of the call on his life that he was to minister from. And that Psalms 51, 16 through 17, I believe God speaks here of wanting to break us from our self-reliance and produce in us, position, produce in us a profound dependence on him and humility that titles, ministry can't give you, being a wife can't give you, I wouldn't know about that, but, or being a mom. So I'm going to read it from a different translation. If you have that, can you put it up? So Psalms 51 says, For the source of your pleasures, not in my performance, or the sacrifices I might offer to you, sacrifices I might, so dependent on if we want to at that time, the fountain of your pleasure is found in the sacrifice of my shattered heart before you. You will not despise my tenderness as I humbly bow you down at your feet. So it says the greatest sacrifice you can offer me is a shattered heart, maybe a broken dream that God put to rest for a while. And I believe that God wants to empty us for the... Um, the things I believe that God, I know he was saying to me, and I believe even for this house, is the things to come, the things he's going to require of you, you cannot fulfill it on your own. Moving forward from here on, from this day, you can't. It's not going to work. So we can try to make things happen. We can try to make a dream happen. We can start pursuing it. But if, if we begin to compromise the call on the God of our life, then we've already lost it. And so I believe that through this, you know, wilderness seasons that God isn't wanting to increase our giftings and our abilities to the point where we are almost equal to the task. But he wants to empty us and cripple us in a good way until we can no longer be self-reliant. And I remember uh, two years ago, I was, we had some transitions going on at my church. And at the time I was doing children's ministry and God bless those who do children's ministry. Um, and so, but at that time, God was actually doing a transition. And I had heard previous to those months before I stepped into um, the worship position at that time, um, I was alone by myself just worshiping. And I just kept hearing the Lord say, there's a new sound coming. There's a new sound. I'm like, what does that even mean? I don't know. But little did I know, several months later, God was positioning, taking someone out, not because of anything wrong, but because God was calling them out. Their time was there up, and my time was up now to move into something that I hadn't been doing for a while. And I remember, oh, my goodness, I cannot do this. God, I can't play fast songs. I, can't, I don't even have a guitar 
player, you know? And I, I come from a smaller church about this size. And I remember I just, I didn't have any resource. I had nothing. I mean, I had a, an amazing drummer. He's awesome. I have amazing singer, singers. And um, then there's just me on the piano. And I thought, God, why are you doing this? I can't do this. Literally, every week I would sit down on the piano. Something that I used to love became something I actually resented for a while. And looking back now, the enemy steals what, and what you're called to do. He, he attacks you in the areas that, that bring the most glory to him. So if it's your worship, be alert. If it's your praise, be alert. And so um, this time, this last year, I was in, you know, the transitions of things, and I was finishing out my last year of school, and um, there was just a wrestle in my spirit. Um, circumstances externally weren't matching to what I thought, and rejection to things, is, it's not delay. It's his provision. And so, but I was learning that nothing, Lacey, in your life is going to work unless relationship works. And so it's not that I was strayed from God. It wasn't that I wasn't praying. It wasn't that I wasn't fasting. It wasn't any of these things except for we can come compassion fatigue without knowing it. And the, the line of work that I was in, it was every day I'm hearing stories that, you know, you don't believe them to be true. And so I'm, you know, hearing, you know, stories of trauma and sexual abuse and uh, just, just crazy things and that, not that I didn't believe that, like, I wasn't hearing them, I wasn't listening, but I wasn't present. And so God had to protect what I was becoming numb to at that moment. So he took me out. And so loneliness in the wilderness happens. David experienced it. And I think what was funny is here this last week I was reading in First Samuel where it talks about uh, David when he, Saul, he literally was running from Saul, running for his life. And he ends up in the cave of Adullam, and that's the stronghold, the place of the stronghold. And so David's there. He's freaking out. But before he left to go there, he went to um, the priest, and he said, I don't have any swords. I don't have any weapons. And, he, and the priest says, the only weapon I have is Goliath's sword. And I was like, huh. He's taking back the sword of his greatest day, his greatest defeat. But, and then he goes into the cave of Adullam. You don't ever hear anything about the, the sword during that time, during the time he's in the wilderness. He doesn't use it. He has it, but he doesn't use it. I'm like, okay, God, I know you healed me of this. I know you set me free of that. I know I'm not like that. And I know I'm definitely not like that. So what are you doing? And you read on in the story, and it says, and you read the Psalms, and you can definitely hear the, the, um, the groanings in his heart, the desperation, the dryness, the depression, because how many of, that's a real thing. How many have experienced depression and anxiety? It's a real thing. And I'm, I'm in that field, and I'm licensed and trained to help people that are suicidal, that are depressed. And then, God, you're bringing me all these people, and I'm depressed. I can't do this. And that was exactly like what happened to David. And I thought it was so interesting that it says in 1 Samuel that God brought him the ones in distress who had a debt to pay, who were probably 
in the same boat as he was. And it got me thinking, God, how does that work? Because I feel like I can't offer anything that I'm still in. And if I'm being honest, can we be real? This last year of my life, probably the deepest, darkest depression I'd ever been in. Dark. To where at times I felt like I was literally having psychosis because it was dark. That I did question the plan of God. And I imagine that God was simply teaching David to train up the ones he's called to deliver because he's going to need those ones. And so I found myself in the same position and I'm like, God, I don't see, and I'm not going to see the fruit of this because I'm leaving. And he said, it doesn't matter because you either are the one that plants the seed, you're the one that either waters it, or you're the one that sees the fulfillment. And so I believe the loneliness that I was feeling, it was God's jealousy for me. It wasn't that he left. He never left. It's we just forget to become aware of his presence in there. And so I just remember in this time, like, you know, I, I'm not working for a while, and I had all these dreams, and something died in me. It felt like it died. Things that I was passionate about, human trafficking and, you know, changing legislation, and I'm going to change the world, and everything died. Nothing, nothing moved me. Worship didn't even move me. But what I'm learning is that the presence of God is not a feeling. The, a feeling doesn't break the yoke of bondage, but it's the anointing that breaks the yoke and that it doesn't matter what I feel. It just matters that I'm being obedient to the thing God called me to do. And if that's sitting behind a piano, lifting and singing and saying, God, you are good. You're faithful. Even if I don't believe it, but I feel like a hypocrite, you're still good. You're still good. I may not believe it, but you're good. And I thank you that you're going to heal someone else because you're good. And I think you're going to provide for someone else because you're good. But God, what about me? What do you do when you don't have money for the bills? What do you do when you feel like everyone else around you is growing up? You're not married. You don't have any kids. You're still living at home in mom's basement, rent-free. Amen. <laughs> and so everything, it literally just felt shattered. And I said, God, how do I worship from this? I can't even worship. I can't even praise. It's so hard. But I'm learning that proximity to God is the only primary prerequisite for promotion. I'm going to say that again. Proximity to God is the only primary prerequisite for God's promise. And so I find myself, Brie, if you want to make your way up, I found myself in this place where Nothing was satisfying. 
I'm broke, lifeless, depressed. I'm nothing. My diplomas were on the wall. I remember the day that I took them off um, in my office at my old job, and I literally felt like I was putting my dream in a box. And it just, there was dust. You felt like you're put back on a shelf. Why now? And I remember sitting in my room, down on the floor, crying out, God, where are you? Why me? What did I do? And I remember him saying, you didn't do anything but love. You didn't do anything but say yes. And when you say yes, that does, you have to count the cost. This is what you asked for. I said, okay. I said, I have nothing to give. I, I don't have a full worship team. I don't have a job. I don't have money. I want to give. I want to do these things. And he said, but what about? And in 2 Kings chapter 4, it talks about the woman with just a flask of oil. Her husband just died. And the government were after her kids, the future, the provision for the future. And the prophet comes to her and says, what do you have or what are you in need of? And then what do you have? He didn't address the issues. He just said, what do you need? And what do you have? And she said, well, all I have is this flask of oil. Not enough. And he said, go get help. Sometimes we need help. Sometimes we need someone to come alongside of us and pull us up. Sometimes we need that. We need the support. We need stability. And as I'm reading the text, and um, my pastor was one that actually preached on this. And I was just like, gosh, this moved me. And he says, go get oil from your neighbors with your sons, with the provision. And go lock yourself in a room and shut the door. And as she did that, the oil began to come out, began to multiply. And he says, what do you, what do you have and what do you need? And sometimes I, f I think we, we tell God what we have, but we don't tell him what we need because you, we don't believe that he's a big God that can provide our, for our bills, that can provide healing, that can provide the things that we need because ultimately he's the resource already. He already has it. He's already made provision. But God, I can't ask you for this. I've been disappointed. All I have is just this little. He's like, okay, put it in my hand. Watch me multiply it. All I have is fish and loaves. Okay, put it in my hand. Watch me feed the 5,000. And I just remember a couple weeks ago, and I wear these keys. I love keys but it, because it means something to me. And I always get asked what it means. But now it takes on a whole different meaning. 
It's always meant, God, you give me the ability to open doors that no man can open, no man can shut but you. You've given me the key of David to, to minister out of a Davidic anointing to people. And he said, yeah, that doesn't matter. So about two, three weeks ago, two different weeks, two different Sundays, church was over, presence of God showed up, and um, I had one, uh, one of the girls from my worship team, she came up to me for a service and said, I just feel like I just needed to buy this for you, and their keys, uh, with locks on them, in their heart, I was like, wow, thank you, I was like, I love keys, and the next week, her sister came up to me after church and gave me this key. And I'm not about trying to be, like, super weird when it comes to, like, the things of God. Because I believe you have, to, you have to use wisdom. You can't become flaky. But I do believe that God speaks to us through our love languages. And um, so she gave this to me. And on the back it said, open doors. And she said, I felt like this was supposed to be for you, so I got it for you. And I sat there and I weeped. And I just put my arms around her and said, thank you. Because literally just this week, something else happened. And how many have ever experienced where something happens one day and it just feels like hell each day? Something goes bad to worse. Another bill, school loans, Another job slam in your face where you don't know what you're doing. You don't even know what you want to do, but, you know, you have to do something. And that's the wrestle that we fight. That's the tension. And that's good. Because revelation lies between two contradictory ideas. And that's what I'm learning. And I was about to throw in the towel. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew I didn't want to do it. I was done. And she came up to me and she said, I felt like I was supposed to give this to you. And on the back it said, open doors. And I said, you have no idea how much this means to me. It gave me hope. Just like Hosea said, he makes our valleys into a gateway of hope. A key of hope to open doors. And so as I'm wrapping, wrapping up, that next week, I met with a lady who, uh, I was just going to do it, just to do it, because I didn't know what else to do, and um, about going into private practice with her. And I had already been in private practice, and it just, it wasn't doing it for me. Something was missing. I had two clients, and it just, something was missing. But I was like, I'm just going to keep doing this. It's not even paying the bills. It's not even, I'm not even getting by. But somehow he provided. When you're faithful to God, he provides everything you need. And it wasn't because I pleaded with God. I didn't go into my prayer closet saying, God, I need money. No, I went in there and said, God, you're good. You're faithful. You don't come back on your promises. And half the time, I didn't even believe it, if I'm being honest. 
But God was breaking my faith because at the time it felt unbreakable. And he needed me to get into a place, a position that it wasn't just about a throne, but it was about an eternal throne like David. It's about people. It's always about people. And so to say all of that, this, I met with a lady, and she, her private practice is only another uh, clinician and her. And I'm sitting in a coffee shop with her, and again, I'm just going, no expectations. I'm like, God, I've been so disappointed. I've asked for help, and every time I ask for help, nothing goes through. I don't want to do it. And I'm sitting there, and I'm just, she's asking me questions like, so what do, you, what do you like to focus on? What do you do? What have you done? And I was like, to be honest, I don't know. And I said I worked at a mission, all women's center, and I worked with human trafficking victims and, um, you know, all of that. And I, I just, I, I don't know. And she's like, oh, you worked with human trafficking. I was like, yeah. And I worked in, went down to the prisons and worked with law enforcement. And yeah, I did. She goes, oh, well, I just recently met with someone who started a nonprofit. I'm like, oh, no, please, not a nonprofit. No, no, no. And um, she said, well, I just recently met with a husband and wife. And they just moved here. And for about a year now, two years, they've been wanting to connect with private pra practice therapists because they have a ministry called Mended Hearts and they go and literally rescue victims of human trafficking. And immediately when she said that, something woke up on the inside. And I'm there and I just had tears. And I said, I'm so sorry. I was like, I'm, I don't know why I'm crying. And you know, I didn't know if she knew the Lord or not, but I didn't care. I didn't care. I was like, you have no idea. I said, my dream was so numb. But as soon as she spoke a word, something woke up. Mary, Elizabeth, amen. It only takes a moment for things to change. Joseph in a prison took a moment. And so today, I... I don't believe God's saying he wants, I'm going to pray for you. I believe he's just wanting us to stand. So all of this room, can we stand? I don't know where you are, but I know that I, and Bryn said this to me before we came up here. She said, Lacey, I, today's your release. I said, you're right. Because I knew I wrestled with this word. And what I was counting God, counting out, God was counting on. So whether that be just a little flask of oil, whether that be just every day going through the motions, just waking up, and just even if I fought it, I didn't, I wanted to believe it, but I couldn't believe that God, you're good. You're good for someone else, but are you good for me? Yes, he's good for you. He is good, and he sits on the throne, and he provides provision. He is good.
He's jealous for you to come back because we can't move forward anymore in this place. So I don't know where you are. Maybe you're in the place of rest. Maybe you're on the brink of resurrection. Or maybe today is your day of release. Wherever you are, I promise it's worth it. Count the cost. Don't try to make it happen. Don't try to make your dreams happen. If you have to compromise, that's not God. If you have to compromise in your worship, in your job, in your family, in a relationship, it is not the will of God. He wants to take vessels to pour out and to use. Maybe you're like the poor widow has lost everything. And today I'm asking you, what do you have and what do you need? So today all over this room, can you just lift your hands? Father, in Jesus' name, here we are. God, I'm still broke, but I believe that I'm not broke because I'm sad or I'm hurt. I'm broke because I found a love that is so satisfying and I'm empty, but I'm full in the most emptiest places. So, Father, I pray over every single lady in this room. And I prophesy to the dead things that they're coming alive in Jesus' name. I prophesy to the financial need, God, that you are making provision. Because you said in your kingdom that you have everything that we, ha- that we ask of and that we need. God, we just have to ask. God, I pray our lives would not be compromised to the will of God and the plan on our life. You hold every dream, every plan. God, if you have to strip us, you have to strip us down to nothing and to allure us into the wilderness just to speak kindly to us. We say yes. We say yes. All of this room, can you just say yes? Father, we say yes. As a, as a group of women of God coming together, we say yes to your will, your plan, and everything that we need, we trust and we put it in your hands. God, because you are a faithful God. God, don't let our worship be hindered. The one thing that I, I'm sorry, I'm going over. I just, one more thing. The presence of God should never be compromised. If there's one thing that I'm thankful for was when I was alone in my room, when I wanted to die, I just didn't want to do it. I said, God, thank you for not taking your presence. Thank you for not taking your presence. Thank you that you showed up every single time. I might not have felt it, but that's what he was doing in me. Lacey, it's not about feeling. You don't make a decision off of feeling because that changes. 
my presence never changes. So if today you're finding yourself in this place, his presence changes everything. Everything you need is in his presence. So Father, we thank you. I thank you that I came just as a vessel, God, not as Lacey, but your daughter. I thank you that you are putting release on us, maybe not now, but it's coming. But I pray for the grace on the lives of each woman here, if they're walking through this or they're about to. God, I pray for supernatural grace to come and hover to come and hover. And Father, we thank you. And we love you. And we just say thank you. Can you say thank you? Is he good? Is he good? Amen. 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 He's good. He's good. I think he's going to even be more good and allow us to eat. <laughs> I think. Um, I'm not sure who I'm supposed to give this to. Oh, isn't she awesome? She's so cool. <laughs>